Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. So I define entrepreneurship essentially as the sweet spot between being an employee and an entrepreneur. It's basically taking control of your own destiny within an organization to bring your role as close as possible to that perfect job you dream of landing by essentially providing value beyond what is expected of your role. I think we can all agree that there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to in-house legal. And if we want to progress your legal team, your business, or the industry more generally, we're going to need to start challenging conventional thinking. This means we need more in-house legal professionals to have an entrepreneurial spirit and to be activators of ideas and be willing to take calculated risks. You'll know the term entrepreneurship, but what we need in the context of in-house legal is intrapreneurship. This is when people think and act like entrepreneurs, but from within inside a company. One person who's especially passionate about entrepreneurship for in-house legal is Joel Roy. Joel is a legal business partner with pharma company Novartis. And in this episode, Joel shares how in-house legal professionals can adopt an entrepreneurial approach to deliver better outcomes and build a more fulfilling career. Hi, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's nice to speak to you again. How are you doing? Likewise. Likewise. It's my pleasure, <laughs> Steph. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I just got back from vacation. This is actually the first thing I do back in work mode. So oh, it's really? really a pleasure to be here. It is. It is. Yeah. Yes. And this was your vacation in Portugal? <laughs> yes, but also took uh, nearly a week after I got back to adjust my toddler back to <laughs> jet lag, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that which was a, a smart struggle, idea. Actually. Yes. It was. Oh it gosh. was. I wouldn't recommend traveling with a two-year-old, honestly. But it's it's mm-hmm. been experiences and memories forever. I'll leave it. Yes, there. <laughs> Me- memories forever. Not not good. Not bad. We'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, obviously, um, you are a lawyer by trade, um, but I think that's only one string to your bow. I would say so. And it might seem like a bit of a random question, but I think it ties into what we're going to be talking about today. But I saw that you recently launched a newsletter on LinkedIn. Could you tell us a little bit about that and kind of what sparked you sparked you to do that? Sure. Well, yes, I, I'm not your traditional background when it comes to you know legal uh, positions, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I did the typical London grad of you know history and poli sci, so as far as education goes, I'm pretty run of the mill and garden variety. Uh, but yeah, no, I have a few quirks. Uh, one being that <laughs> I'm in love with wine. I've actually done my um, WSET uh, certification back in 2016 during my first year of practice. And uh, started a wine blog back then was my first, I guess, endeavor in content creation, which was a lot of Mm -hmm. fun. 
and uh, gave master classes in art galleries to gather interest, that type of thing. So I've been I've been really involved in wine. So the newsletter came when I actually shared this on LinkedIn that I had been doing things in the wine sphere for a while and people were like we need recommendations and I figured you know <laughs> why not why not essentially so I put together a, a little punny newsletter called mate please the cork uh, which I <laughs> launched last Friday and it's been gathering a bit of momentum and it's a good fun you know I think it's it's great to to be able to let your hair down and hang out with these folks that you see on LinkedIn all uh, you know all the time essentially and bring them up to a different speed and show a different side of yourself. So no, it's been great so far. I'm looking forward to pushing it forward. There's only one mm-hmm. <laughs> newsletter out, but we'll keep it coming. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's great. And I'll certainly be be tuning in as well. So I am quite a fan of wine, especially now I'm living in France. So trying to up my game in terms of my wine knowledge. So I think it's so interesting though. And you also, I mean, you have quite a varied background as well of other quirks, as you put it. Um, one which we mentioned a second ago when you were talking about the mic that you were using. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so I guess you're also quite creative, I'd say. I don't know if I'm creative. I'm musical. Um, mm-hmm. There's always, you know, there's a debate whether you, you consider yourself an artist just because you do music or, you know, painting or you write. Uh, it never quite fit well with my personality to, to characterize mm-hmm. myself as such. But yes, I've done I've done a lot of music, uh, a lot of recording. I'm a geek audio produce production, mm-hmm. you know, guy. Essentially, I've been doing this for the last... 15 years so I have all these little tools and you know mics and stuff which uh, I enjoy mm-hmm. discussing with the technical sides of the of this podcast but yes I have that yeah. that's also out there somewhere <laughs> you yeah. can find it out we'll need to find that actually we will need to find that <laughs> but I think it's know. pretty cool yes please do um I think it's really cool because I think all these things that you you do outside of your kind of legal career have uh, value and skills and strengths that you can apply to your legal career as well, I suppose. And it feels like you like to challenge yourself, maybe challenge what a traditional lawyer might look like or do or enjoy in their spare time. But do you think this kind of challenging nature and drive to, to push the boundaries and experience new things is something that you can apply to your legal career and your roles as well? For sure. I don't think it makes me very traditional in the approach, even though I'm far from the only one that took that stride, if I can say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, coming from a varied background and being exposed to different kinds of people and different, you know, outlooks on life makes you better generally as a human being, frankly, if I might say so myself. But also, you know, as a lawyer, it, it makes you develop some communication skills that you might not have. If you're used to discussing only in a certain tone to a certain audience, then obviously you're talking to only them and only them can understand you and react well to that. So having, you mm-hmm. know, people in the music sphere that are still close friends, having people in the wine business that are completely different and having people in law, you can really develop an approach that is perhaps closer to, you know, what you want it to be generally when you speak in life. So you don't have to be in legal mode all the time because you have those little mm-hmm. hats that you can put on as well. So no, I, I think it's, you know, if it makes me interesting, thank God. <laughs> At the end of the day, honestly, that's not what it was done. You know, it's kind of a, mm-hmm. a career and the way it shapes up. It's, 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 happenstance and I I pursued avenues that I thought were interesting at the time and still do them when I have the time I don't have as much as I used to Uh, but now that it's done you know it's still great to look back and to have these uh, skills as you call them or just interests basically that still blossom and I think it almost feels from what I've seen of what your kind of perspective and what you share on LinkedIn as well and the kind of tips and your thoughts and whatnot there it does strike me that you seem quite uh, entrepreneurial, I would say, um, or rather, as you and I have spoken about before, maybe more entrepreneurial. So I guess it'd be great if you could walk us through what 
entrepreneurship means to you um, for those who might have not heard the term before? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think entrepreneurship is something that, you know, is not discussed enough in, in, in circles, especially in legal circles, but also more generally in business mm -hmm. circles. Even on LinkedIn, it's all about the entrepreneur, right? It's essentially you're, you're right. the, the that that that's what we aspire to and those are the people we admire and we see those founders and they're amazing and frankly they are there's a risk element that you don't see in entrepreneurship and you know to have that fire burning might push you further which might explain why you have more successes in typical entrepreneurial um, bases but still i think entrepreneurship is worth talking about because i think it's a fundamental way to pursue your career and actually To, to make you the best employee you can be and to make you the best professional you can be, which in legal, you know, can happen in, in house folks such as myself. That's, that's actually how we, we, we come about. Mm -hmm. So I define yeah. entrepreneurship essentially as the sweet spot between being an employee and an entrepreneur. It's basically taking control of your own destiny within an organization to bring your role as close as possible to that perfect job you dream of landing by essentially providing value beyond what is expected of your role. So going further, what is expected of you and trying to build projects that will bring value. That's really all there is to it. It's also, I think, a thing that perhaps more importantly, it, it breaks the false association between career passivity and being an employee. You know, you don't have to, you know, sit on your laurels just because you landed that in-house gig. The work doesn't stop mm -hmm. there if you don't want it to. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a whole world of opportunities that abound and you just have to seize them. Yeah. And I guess actually that's quite a beauty of um, an in-house role as well, perhaps, because you're working in a business, you're working with lots of different teams, lots of different projects. Um, there's probably a huge opportunity to be entrepreneurial, I would guess. Have you found that yeah, from your experience? I, I would say so. And I would say so. And this might not, you know, generalize to everywhere, but I think People don't expect much from the legal function actually in-house, you know, they, yeah. they're, they're quite set in what they expect of us. Uh, they expect mm. us to handle, you know, the legal stuff and contracts and essentially to slow them down and bog down their processes on the sake of something that mm -hmm. they don't quite understand, which is risk management. Uh, yeah. So really, if you take it for what it is, there's quite a limit as to what you want to do, right? You can be very effective at that and you have, you know, you have amazing Uh, people on your podcast that showed you how to better do this. And frankly, I'm, I'm quite new in the in-house role, so I wouldn't be able to comment much on that, it's at least not with the same authority as they do. But there's a lot more that can be done. And, you know, one mm -hmm. of the beauties of being in-house is that you're kind of the conciliary of the whole business. You touch everything, you interact mm -hmm. with everybody, and you're able to see things perhaps from a higher point of view than most would. And that mm. brings a tremendous opportunity to actually figure out how do we take this forward and how can I redefine my function to really bring the most that it can, uh, with the threshold being quite low, frankly, uh, yes. in, in the general sphere of the business. So entrepreneurship is when people think and act like entrepreneurs from inside a company. These people are likely to be committed to innovation and are passionate about their work and producing higher value for their team and the business. In return for their desire to help the growth of the company, entrepreneurs often receive support and resources to help make their ideas a reality. And this is something that is much needed within the legal function. I completely agree. I think, um, and I've, I've spoken about this before with, with other in-house lawyers and legal professionals, um, it really feels like the legal team is and can be quite underutilized, generally speaking. As you say, kind of having those blinkers on on the narrow focus of what legal traditionally encompassed, whereas now the the options, especially in the context of entrepreneurship, are 
well, I guess they're unknown, but they're they're limitless almost, I suppose, in what you can get involved with, which is pretty exciting. And in terms of the kinds of projects, uh, what kind of projects could an in-house legal professional be looking at if they're trying to be more entrepreneurial, would you say? Yeah, well, you know, I figured this when I started, I actually had, you know, speaking for myself, and then we can generalize as to what this normally entails, because I've, I've mm-hmm. given some thought about this and can now, you know, break it down to, to its main parts. But for me, it really happened. Mm-hmm. I had an interest in legal operations. Um, I had been involved in some legal ops projects working as a fractional general counsel before I joined uh, Novartis as an in-house counsel, where, you know, the point was all about, uh, I was selling a subscription service, so essentially unlimited access to me, but building systems to replace me was actually the most profitable and frankly, uh, the most interesting part of the job, because <laughs> I could really, yeah. you know, take a step back and make it make it happen on, on, a, on a scaling level that I, I didn't think was possible, and legal ops really allowed that. So when I joined Novartis, I had this the same interest and a little bit of experience just to make me sort of worthwhile <laughs> to exploit on legal ops mm-hmm. basis. But we had no legal ops function at the country level. So, you know, talking to a few people, I, I decided to take on small legal ops projects and to push them forward as a, essentially as a self-starter, which is really what you need to do to, to, to get entrepreneurial. And we'll talk of that. And I was able to build a little cross-functional team to assist me, which led to, you know, interesting results, I would, if, if I can say so myself. So essentially, Breaking this down, you know, the kind of projects have five, I would, five, maybe six, essentially main components that you can look at. The first one is really to determine what, what your core skills are, uh, and which ones are currently underutilized in your day to day. So if you're really good at contracts, and that's awesome, be good at contracts, but it's perhaps what you're doing already. So you might want to look yeah. at, you know, on the periphery of, uh, of, of what you're doing and, and try to figure out what could I do? What could I leverage essentially as far as skills are concerned uh, and which ones are actually interesting to you? Then you can study the business. And I think that's that's so important because, you know, ideation actually becomes before execution and executing super well a bad idea is probably not what you want to do. So to really study the business and identify projects and opportunities that actually exist that are out there and that could benefit from those same skills that you actually want to enable the, the business to profit from. So these have to be inspiring enough to you also, because there's a lot of hard work ahead and you'll be doing this on mm-hmm. top of what you're already doing in your day to day. So you better be inspired, uh, but really yeah. knowing the business and figuring out where it's going and to sort of have this entrepreneurial, because that's really all it is, this entrepreneurial mindset to really maximize what you're doing it will, will take you places essentially. The third step would be to lobby and negotiate internally, which is the thing that will take you the most time and will be the most difficult and might actually kill most of your projects. But it's the one that you don't see coming when you start doing this, Uh, because you have to get resources uh, to get the project going. This is difficult usually because everybody's trapped for time and you you tend to be very busy as an in-house counsel even though you're underutilized it doesn't mean that you're sitting at home you know eating cookies you're probably doing a lot of work uh, and to replace that by something else or just scale it on top will require work so you have to get your managers buy-in and then you have to get other people inspired so there's leadership there's lobbying there's negotiation and there's project management mm-hmm. all coalesced into one the yes. fourth one is actually just that. So building usually what is a cross-functional team to execute on that project. So you have to really get people going, get them excited. You have to be likable generally if you want to lead people. Uh, and that's difficult, you know, for me coming essentially from the bottom of the, <laughs> the hierarchy as a council, uh, you know, you're trying to get heads and leads involved in your project. And they're like, who is this guy again? Like, what, why is he bothering <laughs> me with extra work? So you really have to, you know, make a case for yourself and actually make a case for the project mm-hmm. that you're pushing forward 
and seeing that this will be good for everybody involved, including the corporation as a whole. So let's push this forward. So that's that gets into negotiations, but it's it's more of a leadership, I guess, exercise. The two other ones uh, are not directly related to the entrepreneurial project itself, but are critical if ever you mm -hmm. want to do it again. The fifth one mm -hmm. is really to track your successes. And I can't say this, mm. you know, heavily enough. I could probably like post it with a neon light somewhere, like on a billboard. <laughs> you got to make sure that you have something to show for, you know, if you had all these people invest that time, you had your manager manage sometimes and resources for you to get something going. You got to make sure that you can convince the business and the business speaks in numbers. So you better have those Excel sheets ready and that data and uh, at least those actionable metrics uh, to make sure that everybody can understand what the impact of that venture was. And the sixth one is really icky. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. Nobody enjoys that. But I think it's important is to try to get the project nominated for whichever gala accolade prize whatever you have internally because if you're working mm -hmm. in a big corporation these exist to quite frankly stimulate entrepreneurship you know and yeah. reward those that actually engage in it and this what this does and i learned this a bit late into my own journey but it gives you traction and you get less and less resistance at the negotiation stage we talked about. Your managers are actually giving you a little more leeway. You have resources. You might even become, you know, the, the go-to person for new projects or initiatives. Uh, and that's a great mm -hmm. thing, but you have to get yourself noticed, which for lawyers is kind of a, you know, a bad thing a lot. You know, like it's the same reaction you get for people putting themselves out there on LinkedIn. Like, oh, I just want to keep my head down and keep working. You can surely mm -hmm. do that. Best of luck to you, Godspeed. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, you put yourself forward at the same thing as you do with entrepreneurship, you might get notice from it. And that's, you know, that will lead to promotions. It will lead to new projects. It will lead to more independence at work. So really those are just, you know, four plus two building blocks, I think that, that any legal mm -hmm. ops projects would have. And there are countless examples you can think of, you know, from starting a, a football club to a legal ops projects to, you know, onboarding a CLM to, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, getting a podcast going, for example. I'm sure you yeah, can maybe relate yeah. to that. Yeah, for sure. I think they're, <laughs> they're super great steps. And as you say, especially in the context of legal ops, there's a lot of kind of, they are projects, they are change management uh, things that you need to need to consider. And there's such room for, yeah, progression and innovation and entrepreneurship, I suppose, in that space, which is really exciting. And well, legal ops, I, I find, if I might just mm -hmm. interrupt you for a second, I think legal yeah, ops, we're at a stage right now where we can't move away from legal ops in any way. And you can either make legal ops happen or you can have legal ops happen to you. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, th there's definitely some kind of agency that you can put in to make sure that you shape in a way that actually makes sense for the legal department, because you know what? Legal ops might actually not be owned or be led by the legal function that can and does happen. <laughs> I'm not saying whether that's a good or a bad thing. It depends on so many factors, but to get involved in seeing, you know, we're those that are actually have, you know, our neck deep into the, the work and we can say that the efficiencies would be better, uh, would be better getting gotten from, you know, focusing on X, Y, and Z that will take mm -hmm. you places. And this will actually mm -hmm. make you reflect better than you would if you were just to be, you know, kept in check by a, an outside legal ops function that was created and owned, say by, you know, even the devils at finance. So maybe not mm -hmm. something you want. <laughs> and I yeah. love those finance yeah. folks. I, me I meant this in jest, just because this is recorded and will live on forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I think we like a bit of sarcasm on the podcast. So hopefully everyone <laughs> can enough. appreciate hopefully. and understand that. <laughs> um, and the point you made about kind of trying to find those accolades or 
you know, letting this fantastic project that you've worked on stand on a stand on a stool and shout about it. I think that's really important and often something we generally shy shy away from. But as you said, if if you've kind of had this internal publicity, I suppose, yeah, it'll reduce the reduce the friction um, for future projects that you work on. But I think as well, it kind of rebrands the legal department a little bit if you're driving that from within the legal team I think the wider business will you know they'll they'll look at you and think oh wow there's there's more to legal than as you say just risk management or that sort of thing and yeah so do you think it's an opportunity to to kind of position the legal function in a in a fresh light as well absolutely and one thing I would say at least from my my own experiences is that you know the ripple effect is huge when you have something that actually works on an entrepreneurial basis, everybody that touched it looks good. And that's, you know, that's quite a great thing because there's no negative. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, the manager that allowed it to, to move forward will look good. You will look good as the initiator, obviously. Uh, your whole cross-functional team will look good and the business will look good because you're sufficiently agile from an entrepreneurial and also from a management prospect to allow good ideas to coalesce and to execute on them. And that's mm-hmm. a great thing. So there's really no negative. Obviously, you can you know fall flat on your face and fail. And that's, that's kind of part of it. But at least, uh, yes, redefine your role and not be, as I like to think, you know, it's perhaps an image that might not speak to everybody. But I I have quite an idea of the lawyer, you know, sitting in the back office, uh, probably sleeping in a coffin at night, or at least not being exposed directly to sunlight, holding a big stamp <laughs> that says no, <laughs> and just printing mm-hmm. projects all day. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> you, can, you can kind of look at us. Uh, and frankly, this is the reaction I had when I joined Novartis. Like, oh, yes, another lawyer. There we go. And to be able to mm-hmm. fight that and redefine the relationship will also have a big impact on your day to day, not, you know, mm-hmm. a- among other things, because you will ha- actually have the opportunity to talk about people about other projects and be part of their own entrepreneurial mm-hmm. projects. And you'll be involved early. You won't have to kill them later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had an episode recently about this, like how do we get legal involved earlier on? Well, by showing yeah. face and making sure that you see more involved in the business as a whole, that's surely a great tip that you can look at. So this is also one of the unintended collateral effects that you might have from entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's brilliant. Definitely. And I think you touched on, you know, a, f- a few things there where I think it maybe will take some confidence maybe to, to go outside of your comfort zone and, and drive a project forward to kind of unleash this um, entrepreneurialism. What kind of uh, strengths and, and skills do you think people could work on to become a better legal entrepreneur? Yeah, well, you mentioned confidence. I think that's a great one. Uh, it might be pure recklessness sometimes, but at least, you know, if you're an employee, you're not that reckless. But I, I guess mm-hmm. the first thing I want to say is that pretty much all the skills and strengths of a good entrepreneur would do well for an entrepreneur. So they're all applicable. You can Google them. There's plenty of, <laughs> there's mm-hmm. plenty of material out there to, to see if you're a good entrepreneur or not. But I think the two discerning factors you might have, which you would not find in a typical entrepreneurial journey, are the diplom- diplomacy and politics aspect, and mm. also project management, which I'll get to in a second. But mm-hmm. leadership is probably the biggest one because the maverick entrepreneur model doesn't really work internally. And that's a big thing. You know, no mm-hmm. person is an island within a company. And if you try to, you know, do something against the will of your direct supervisor of the business as a whole, and you try to push something forward, Odds are you will 
first of all, you'll fail. And second of all, even if you do succeed, you probably won't succeed with the same kind of effects that you actually intended in the first place. You won't, you know, you won't get goodwill, you'll get bad will out of it. Um, so that's not mm -hmm. really great. But you have to convince people, and that comes with leadership and communication, um, to let you do what you want to do first and to help you mm -hmm. out <laughs> when needed. Yeah. Uh, and this might also involve a bit of political maneuvering because you need to know who to talk to and how to get the support mm -hmm. and not commit one of the, you know, cardinal sins of in-house practice, which is to go over your boss and things like this. Like you, you got to make sure that you thread lightly, but at the same time, you will need, you know, things like resilience, perseverance, resourcefulness, because there will be naysayers. There will, there mm -hmm. will be people saying, you know, you should go read a good book instead of doing this nonsense. Or, you know, we have a lot of work already. Why would we go with something else? Or I don't want to be bothered by anything else. My day job is already stressful enough. You'll face those. Mm -hmm. And these will be, I think, the hardest moments from your projects that, you know, before you even get started, actually, which is kind of reassuring in a way because once you do get going your odds of success are higher if you made it this yes, far true. that will be that will be tough right so i think that's there and also um, the ideation part is actually just as important so you got to be very curious about what the business does uh, what kind of environment it is the strategic positioning it's taken uh, to understand the market forces at play uh, the main drivers of revenue so this takes a lot because you probably need to get out there and discuss with people in other departments which you know some in-house lawyers never do so you got to make sure that you have those social and communication skills to you know hang around uh, people in other siloed verticals like you know legal and finance can make a good match sales and HR mm -hmm. can make a good match and it's actually once you talk with them and say hey what's the blocker here like why doesn't this work seamlessly what's the issue you got to mm -hmm. have those conversations to make sure that you maximize your value as an entrepreneur so there's a lot of that and then the last part which i don't think we can sweep under the rug even though it's kind of a given is you need very good prioritizing and time management skills because whatever you're doing mm -hmm. you're doing on top of your current workload so if you can't yeah. find efficiencies and you're already very busy odds are you'll fail. And that's a big deal because there's nothing worse than getting people very excited about something you end up not doing. <laughs> well, there might be worse things, but it, it, it's one of the bad ones. So uh, you really got to make sure that you can have the bandwidth and can secure it to, to make sure that you can push this to the finish line. So th those would mm -hmm. be, I think, the main skills you'll need. Yeah, you're right. It's quite a, a well-rounded individual, I would say. Um, well, you also learn as you go, right? Like they're not natural. And obviously you can't tick all those boxes before you get going, but you got to keep in mm -hmm. mind that you will face hurdles and how will you react to them? And, you know, planning, I think is good because you need to have a vision, but at the same time, you got to be agile and you got to make sure that you're, you, you can adapt to whatever's thrown at you because organizations mm -hmm. are living organisms and they have their quirks and they have their perks. And sometimes, you know, someone leaves and then someone comes back and they're not happy with, with whatever you were doing before. And so mm -hmm. you got to adapt. I think that that's also another one. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's it's like entrepreneurship. Generally, you got to be ready for whatever they throw at you. And they throw a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are a few useful skills that you'll want to work on if you want to become a legal entrepreneur. We've covered a good few here with Joel. So here are five characteristics and skills necessary to become a successful entrepreneur. One knowledge of the internal and external environment that you're working in. Two, vision and a willingness to challenge conventional thinking. Three, you'll need to be diplomatic and confident working with cross-functional teams. Four, 
the ability to build buy-in from stakeholders inside and outside of the legal team and including executives. Five, the ability to persevere even in the face of resistance and uncertainty. But I think um, yeah. that's a, a great point that you mentioned there actually because I suppose at the beginning when you're just thinking about trying to get some buy-in for various projects um, or for an entrepreneurial project, you can think about the strengths, your own strengths, as you say, and then kind of identify any gaps perhaps and then try and pull in people who can who can fill those areas that you're perhaps not so strong in. Is it, would you say that that's a, a valuable part to it? Yeah, for sure. And you don't have to do this yourself, right? Like entrepreneurship is simply about getting this started, but you know, uh, uh, you can have a team of entrepreneurs and you can identify those and build your tribe around them. And that will probably mm -hmm. secure your position even more because you can pool resources and make sure that you know where to go. And if you have, you know, someone on your sort of informal ragtag team or motley crew that has more experience within the business. You know, I was very new at Novartis. I didn't know the ropes. I didn't know who to appeal to, what to do. And I came in with all this energy and some people were like, hey, mm -hmm. look at the kid go. You know, we might, you know, throw him a bone and actually tell him how to do this stuff. And they, they helped out and I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for them. And you develop relationships that are so strong when you're out there in the trenches trying to make something happen that it really builds. And then you can become that resource for someone else and frankly, that's the best thing that can happen to an organization because you don't get, you know, sclerosis. You, you actually mm -hmm. always evolve and can build and grow because, you know, the backbenchers are actually pushing the business forward. So for sure, mm -hmm. like you, you don't have to do this yourself. You don't have to. But I think what you really need to is, and, you know, lawyers are really quite good normally at exhibiting that is intellectual curiosity and communication abilities or just mm -hmm. you know as i like to say and i've said this many times on linkedin and on talks i'm giving but we're just you know usually overpaid uh communicators with a fancier title that's usually what we are <laughs> so if you can channel this in another way than you know writing a legal brief or uh, engaging in a red line trench warfare with opposite counsel counsel then you can make things happen and i guess to 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 cover this very long-winded answer to the very simple question you asked. Um, no, I love it. Thank the, you. the one thing I, I think we benefit, you know, because entrepreneurship doesn't only apply to legal. This happens to be, mm -hmm. you know, what we're talking about here, because that's my background as well and kind of your focus. It's, it's not called HR means business. But at the end of the day, <laughs> legal has a very, a very big authority normally in organizations, right? And we're not known to be the more project-driven individuals, right? Like sometimes mm -hmm. like we're not seen as the function that will push the business forward. Um, but we have the credibility that, you know, we won't go over any lines. We won't put the business in jeopardy. Uh, we're also known to be, you know, usually dependable when people ask us stuff we normally deliver that kind of our ethical obligations to do that. So entrepreneurs mm -hmm. in the legal function have this going on for them. They're not like, you know, the merry-go-lucky running everywhere salesperson junior salesperson that wants to you know be the next Steve Jobs and you know go against all all tides to make sure that they make something happen we have the credibility already to really convince mm -hmm. that whatever we push forward since we don't push forward a lot of things traditionally is probably worth investing in so we got to channel that you know that's an opportunity actually so mm -hmm. I guess that's that that's also what you could look at to, to build a team and get people excited is that in it authority that you normally have as an in-house counsel, whether deservingly yeah. or not. <laughs> that's another yes, story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um that's a great point actually. I hadn't really hadn't really thought about that, but you're right, yeah, because I think there'll be more um yeah, more credibility as you say, and maybe a 
oh interesting unusual an idea from the from the legal yeah. function definitely worth um yeah. pursuing or, or yeah you know steph i think it. we should do this oh really who pitched you for this legal wait what legal what? pitched you for this you know that's usually <laughs> probably how this goes and that yeah. that heightens the conversation already <laughs> Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. But what an opportunity as well to kind of, as you were saying, there's a lot of talk about entrepreneurship or there maybe people in the sales team are being more entrepreneurial. Um, but it's kind of a, excuse me, a language that um, we can speak, kind of a common language that if you find the people to join your project team cross-functionally, um, what an opportunity to kind of build those relationships on a common ground of entrepreneurship that everyone can kind of rally behind. Um, yeah. And odds yeah. are you know them already because, you know, you're exposed to every single aspect of the business. Like we're not siloed normally in, in legal, mm -hmm. at least not as much as some other functions. So you have access to those folks already because you work with them and support them on a daily basis. So what a great mm -hmm. opportunity to say, hey, do you have five minutes? This has been irking me. I think we could do better. What do you think? Those are, yeah. you know, where the magic happens in an organization. Yeah, totally. And you've probably got an idea of who are the kind of entrepreneurial champions from other teams. If you have, say you have accolades that you have, or even if there's quite often, even startups have like a wins Slack channel, for example, you can mm -hmm. see who has the momentum of um, driving projects and driving change and enjoying being involved in these sorts of things and I guess you could probably engage those people too if they have skills that would be relevant um for your project uh, yeah and it cool. builds you know a very organic kind of networking which is something you you probably want and also yeah birds of a feather flock together as they say right so if you can if mm -hmm. you can tie yourself to the winning streaks uh and those that actually have momentum going within an organization then you Odds are that will be a good thing. <laughs> you know, you probably mm -hmm. won't regret that much. So yeah, for sure. Yes. No, I think that's a, that's a splendid point as well. And you touched on it just just before there about, uh, you know, it's not traditional necessarily for change or projects or innovation and entrepreneurship to be driven from within the legal function or the legal department. Why, why now? Like, why is it relevant for in-house legal professionals to be thinking on this or developing their skills here or, or driving those projects forward? That's a great question. And it takes a bit of futurology to answer that, but I'll, I'll give it a spin, even though I could be wrong. And I, and I acknowledge that, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of the busy work that has been, you know, keeping us busy for the last 50 years, especially in in-house in legal is being automated. <laughs> Let's not yep. kid ourselves for that. <laughs> yeah. So there's quite a bit of that and efficiencies are being built. And I don't think we can, you know, since information is out there, I don't think we can, preserve the arcane obscurity of the law so much longer before people find out that we're actually not doing rocket science work every day. <laughs> so, you know, it is coming. And I think for, for, it's for the good, um, mostly that, you know, we are becoming more of a, a flatter part of the you know, legal exceptionalism. I think it's days are counting, generally speaking. I think mm. I could sum it up like this. We won't be, uh, seen as, you know, those, uh, you know, the wise people on the top of the mountain anymore. Like people will find out what we're actually doing and whether that brings value or not. And there will be technology to make sure that we're kept in line. So we're at a moment, I think, quite a critical moment. You know, you have all these things going on and it's kind of the uh, the singularity approaching for legal in which we'll actually have to look at what we do, what we want to do, what the business thinks we should be doing and how we can define our functions so that we can really push things forward and make sure that we're a, a value added uh, sector of the of the business and mm -hmm. that's not always the case right now and we're we're tolerated because we're a necessary evil but 
that's that's not where I want to be personally in my career to just be part of something that's essential but kind of boring in a, a huge cost center. You know, that's that's not what it is about. So I think there's the doomsday approach in which you say like, oh, you know, they're going to replace up with machines. I might find some myself some something else to do. <laughs> that's surely one <laughs> approach. It, it might be overstated. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if you want to bring the most you can to your organization, you have the skills, you have the mindset, you have the knowledge. And you have the contacts because you're touching on every part of the business. What better way to bring yourself career satisfaction and probably job security, most likely a promotion, build some good networking skills, than to really see, hey, how can I actually benef benefit this company beyond my strict role description? Like, isn't that inspiring? You know, outside of why we might want to do this, I think that's a great way to, 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 to heighten your job satisfaction. At least it does for me. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's, again, such the beauty of working in-house as well. Um, the the, yeah, the opportunities are kind of endless and it's quite exciting, I feel. Um, and hopefully oh, it is. that it most very people, much is. Yeah, yeah, people working in-house would hopefully be excited by that concept as, yeah, I guess lots of people have moved in-house or chosen in-house because of the kind of being part of uh, the business vibes, sure. I suppose. For sure. Just replace entrepreneurship at what you were doing as business development, you know, when you were in private practice and you, you have something mm -hmm. going, you need to, yeah. you, you need to sell your, your importance to, to the team in house also, you know, like it's important mm -hmm. to, to, to keep that career development movement going and entrepreneurship is mm -hmm. a great way to do that. So for sure, completely mm -hmm. agreed. Yeah. And generally you find, well, I found having had the pleasure of speaking to so many um, of you who are kind of of this mindset it does really seem like you can enjoy your jobs, your day-to-day -day roles um, much more because you kind of get a bit um, more invested, more enthusiastic, and you can't help but kind of rally behind these ideas, whether you've been the one to pitch it or whether you're just part of the project. Uh, so it certainly feels like something that is a lot more rewarding on a day-to-day -day basis and for the long your longer-term career as well, which is cool. Um, yeah, I haven't reviewed the data recently, but you know, when you look at the main drivers of job satisfaction, you have positive feedback, which you can get if you're iterating and actually pushing projects forward, you'll get feedback, whether good or not, at least you'll get feedback and autonomy, mm -hmm. which you get as an entrepreneur, because the more you do, the more you'll be seen as a self-starter, the more your managers will be like, oh, you know, Steph is just doing her thing and she's doing great. So I'll just lay off her for a while, <laughs> essentially. Mm -hmm. And you get promotions and the, the, the feeling of contributing to the business as a whole. I think those, and you can you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like I said, I haven't reviewed this in a while, but those came to mind. And entrepreneurship is a surefire way to get all of these. So yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you know, being in a house can be a dreadful job. It can be super enlightening. It could be, you know, it can bring you a lot of satisfaction. It might not, depends on a lot of factors, but making sure that you realize your full potential as an employee is a great feeling. So if you choose that mm -hmm. path, yeah, I mean, I'm preaching to the congregation here, I find, but uh, yeah, that, 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 that's yeah. a sure way to no, do I it. I love that. Yeah, it's yeah, so motivating and exciting for sure. I suppose if people are listening and they're thinking, oh gosh, I don't actually do any of that at the moment. I, I'm not sure I have these skills. I'm kind of doubting myself, but I really want to get involved with this and I want to find that career satisfaction and I want to help drive the business forward. What would you advise to kind of take their first steps on an entrepreneurial journey? Well, you know, I... The best way, I think, is to take a project you're currently part of that you find lacks direction or leadership and to just fill the vacuum. <laughs> we we all yes. know those. And I think the, the main issue with legal sometimes is that we don't want to own anything as a function. 
we say like, oh, we're a support function. You come us, you get it. You come to us, you get advice. You come out, I get back to my work. You move forward. We're not great drivers normally. I think we're not. We're not seen as such. And mm-hmm. frankly, we we we're busy, so we're, we're we we don't have the bandwidth sometimes to do that. But to really yeah. try to get there yourself, and you know, this will be welcome usually that you take leadership of something, and will allow the business to see more of the real you outside of your typical lawyer hat on, mm-hmm. uh, in all your talent and glory. And you're less likely to face resistance if you do this because the project is already underway. So you don't have to say, hey, here's this completely new thing that will mobilize resources that you haven't budgeted for, but let's do it. You know, so mm-hmm. if you're, you're pitching a hundred percent custom project you just came up with, you know, especially if you're really recently decent, if you're a relatively recent hire, you might face a bit of mm-hmm. issues. But if you're just picking up something that has sort of been sitting there idle, then odds are you'll do better. Um, and you know, if I might, say so myself, one of my first entrepreneurial ventures at Novartis was actually just like that. You know, if I might elaborate a little bit, our global yeah, drug please. development team had been working with a governmental nonprofit to accelerate essentially clinical trials in Quebec. Uh, they had been making some progress, but most of the time waste, you know, they, they, it just died because uh, th- th- there was a lot of the, the inefficiencies that came up was around contracts and nobody wanted to pick mm-hmm. that up. So they had tried to get things going a few times via different angles, but the silos between the different stakeholders caused a kind of analysis paralysis that we described a few minutes ago, right? Like people just looking at the ball and saying someone will pick it up eventually. Um, and, <laughs> uh, since my first real entrepreneurial project involved getting Novartis to use actually one NDA, uh, which by the way, mm-hmm. I think is one of the most groundbreaking initiative in the legal space. I know you've spoken to Electra. I'm a huge fan. Brilliant. I, you know, every time Me she too. sends something, I send her DMs like with a lot of emojis. I think she's amazing. <laughs> I was all about efficiency through standardization at that point. So I said, Hey, mm-hmm. how about we try to get all you know, we get that nonprofit that was leading the project and we get all pharma and hospital rep- representatives together and we negotiate one standard clinical trial agreement. And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, we tried that before. It didn't work. I'm like, okay, well, let's try it. But with, you know, me in the driver's seat, you know, rallying people forward and me and some, some other colleagues, obviously I wasn't alone in that. And we did, and we were able to make this happen. And, you know, we've now accelerated clinical trial cycle time, but more than 75% through this and other related initiatives. Yeah, no, it's a Mm -hmm. big deal. And it was there. People had agreed to do this. It had been, you know, the government invested millions into that nonprofit to get this going. But yeah, people were just looking at the ball and saying, it'd be great if we could tackle contracts, you know? Mm -hmm. So just swooping in, picking that up and making sure that you exercise the kind of leadership you need to push it forward will take you places. And this is one of the examples that I think had the most impact. And we've won prizes and awards for this. I'm actually pitching this very project to our global CEO on Friday, which is amazing. I don't think a lot of lawyers had this benefit for, for, Mm. you know, entrepreneurial projects. So there you go. I think this can work. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And, And such an impact that can be felt by by so many people out with outside of the the legal department as well it's just absolutely incredible yeah and, it, and the ripple effect is huge and everybody looks good mm-hmm. like i said you know like who who's yeah. going to well the, the naysayers might not look good but you got to be graceful and not saying well this person didn't believe in that that could work <laughs> so you got to leave those aside but outside of this those that do mm-hmm. believe and do buy in will look good yeah yeah, what a fantastic example and, and congrats and good luck as well for, for Friday. Um, super stressed, super stressed. <laughs> that's, that's the way it goes. <laughs> I, I have full faith uh, that you'll deliver some, some great stuff there. So fear not, fear not. Um, and I guess just to kind of tie everything um, to a bit of a close, I think I, we've mentioned this throughout, but these kind of projects are, I guess, over and above your, your already likely hefty workload. 
what would you say to people who are quite resistant to to tackle any or uh, engage with any kind of entrepreneurial activity due to the fact that they have a lot of workload? Um, I have a few ideas uh, of my own, but it'd be great to hear. To hear <laughs> I want to hear them also. I want to hear them also because mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the crux of the issue, right? Like if you're too busy, how mm-hmm. are you going to do more? And that's, you know, to mm-hmm. make the parallel once again with uh, career development or business development in private practice, that's the same thing. You know, how can I mm-hmm. go and network and do white papers and webinars and all that stupid stuff if I can't get my hours in? Uh, and that's a very important question. And I think the main reason why a lot of people don't get involved. I mm-hmm. think you got to look, there are two ways to go about this. Either you sort of deal with it and manage efficiencies yourself. So you try to, you know, use systems, uh, templates, uh, you know, contract automation that you might have already. You try to leverage, you know, you go beyond what is currently being done to build a system that's more efficient. So that's one way. It's mm-hmm. hard. It can be done depending on your organization. Mm-hmm. Some are very optimized already and just busy. And the other one is to go to your supervisors saying, I want to do this. I can't because I'm too busy. What do we do about that? Yeah. Ideally have an answer prepared <laughs> so that it's not yes, their problem but yours still. But to be completely clear, the first question that you'll get and that I got surely when I pitched any sort of, you know, entrepreneurial project to my supervisors was, can you, do you have the bandwidth to actually do that? Like, can, can you spare the time to take this forward? Because like I said, it's an important thing that you don't start a lot of projects that you never finish just because you got busy. Like that's a surefire way to make sure that you don't have any credibility anymore. When you do those, you become the person that cried wolf and you don't want to be that mm-hmm. person. Uh, we know, all know how that ended up for this little, you know, Tom guy. Was it Tom? Anyway. <laughs> a person that cried wolf. Uh, yeah. So yeah, at the end of the day, you got to make sure that you can answer this affirmatively because you know if you if you say no, I don't have the time. You know, find it for me. Odds are you won't be doing a lot of projects. But I think if it's worthwhile and you can you know split the burden between, like I said, a cross-functional team that you can build, you can get places. But yes, mm-hmm. I, I think this is mostly for, you know, when things get slow, this is the beginning of summer, folks. You know, we all know how summer goes, at least in, in this hemisphere. Uh, the summer is usually slower in-house. That's one of the perks and also, you know, in private practice also. So get those going while you can, while you have the bandwidth. Don't just say, oh, when I, you know, when I'm less busy. But for sure, some some folks will be too busy to actually get these started. And that's a shame. Um, but that's the way that it goes and there's no way around that. But if you can see a way in which it can be done, I'd suggest you try it and start small, take the win and build from that because Mm -hmm. the more wins you have and the more recognition you got, the more people look good. And if your supervisors are looking good, they'll want to keep looking good and they'll therefore allocate the resources and time to let you do this kind of stuff. And this is where the magic happens. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to get started. It gets easier as you go. Yeah. I think that's a great point and I completely agree with everything that you just said. I think it's, it can be difficult in the beginning to see um, and quite often these projects I think the end goal is probably to save you time um, yeah. down the line as you talked about. So it's kind of a it's a viewing the upfront work and effort uh, versus the kind of longer term ROI and I think that's really important and it's understandably a a difficult hurdle to to get yourself over if you're already swamped but are you wanting longer term uh, sustainability uh, due to the efficiency that you can create but I think your advice on kind of tackling things when it is a quieter time um, because it does come in waves of course the workload so maybe putting in place that plan because I think there's a huge ROI on planning well putting in place uh, a plan during during the quieter times and getting the ball rolling when you can 
um, is great. Um, and then hopefully once you've started, the momentum will continue and you can complete some some exciting and, and great projects that have, have an impact uh, business-wide as well. So yeah, I completely agree with everything that you were saying there. But yes, I think that's about all we have time for today. I don't know if you have any kind of final final points on entrepreneurship generally, entrepreneurship in-house, any wider thoughts at all? Well, I, I think this is something that needs to be looked at very seriously. And I, I would mm -hmm. dare to say that you got to have this in you before you join probably in-house if you want to, you know, make it further up the, the corporate ladder, for instance, or if you want to uh, get a lot of traction in whatever you're doing because it is the main driver of career satisfaction. It's easy to coast in-house. It's very, very mm -hmm. easy. I don't think it will make you happier unless you're, you know, a professional roar on the side or you write books or you have something else to keep you going. But if you, mm -hmm. if you give any sort of importance to your career as far as your satisfaction and life satisfaction is concerned, this is a sure mm -hmm. way to get better and to actually make sure that you realize your full potential and that you create your mm -hmm. own dream job. So I would mm -hmm. personally advocate, and obviously, you know, th this is my personal bias and I realize that, but I think there's a lot of value to be gotten both for you personally and for the company as a whole in-house through entrepreneurship. So take a look at that and, you know, get iterating. I think it's, it's, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it is that it's a, it's a field wide open and you just got to, you know, start, start, you just got to start. Yeah. Just got to start. It's always the first step, the first and the hardest, but <laughs> a much, a very worthwhile one when you do it. But that's a great point because I think a lot of uh, lawyers in particular haven't necessarily always had an outlet to kind of let their other skills and passions run wild, whether it's creativity or other types of things. So I think, yeah, being entrepreneurial is such a great opportunity to do that again for both yourself and for for the business so yes thank you so much for walking us through all of those steps there I think there's a lot that people can take away uh, from that to get started or to develop if they've already got the ball rolling so yeah thank you so much I really appreciate it and I've no doubt that people will have value from from all your insights today <laughs> well hopefully that was a lot of fun anyway so even though <laughs> even if nobody listens or cares, <laughs> this was this was a, this was fun for me so thanks Steph for the opportunity thank I really you. appreciate it Oh, not at all. Absolute pleasure. I hope we can we can speak again sometime. So thank you. For sure. <laughs>